Well, good morning, everybody. Greg Wigfield here. I'm the pastor of Destiny Church in Leesburg. And uh, once again this week, uh, we're in the middle of this series in black and white. And uh, we have three churches represented here. So actually today is uh, Life Ticket Church, and today is City Hills Church, and today is Destiny Church. And uh, I'm going to have the pastors uh, just share a little bit here in a moment. But um, man, I'm so excited about this, the topic today. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's actually one I've really been waiting for only because it's so important and it's so overlooked. And when, when we first started talking about what we wanted to do, we wanted to talk about this topic as much as anything, and that is the ability to simply listen. And that is an art form that evades a lot of people, myself included. And um, so I just want to I want to share a few things to set this up just from my perspective, because you're going to hear from other perspectives today um, and, and, and just where I am and, and why I want to be part of what we're doing. Uh, this will come as no surprise to anybody. I'm an older white man. And I was thinking about this. There is nothing I can do to change any of that. Right. Old. I've tried. It's it's if things are going downhill, uh, I'm lily white and I'm a guy. And, and so. I'm stuck with all of that. Um, and, you know, and sometimes in this culture, that feels like you're like a total loser. No. Um, well, no, I'm telling you, it's how, it's how I feel. Yeah. All right? <laughs> <laughs> but that doesn't mean I can't change. Right. That doesn't mean that, that I have to be stuck in, in that, that place that I'm in. Right. And, and, man, this, this whole where we are right now in our, in our world uh, there, I have to change. I have to change. Uh, so I'm an older white guy, but I'm a kingdom man, right. which which really means that I want God to lead me. I I want to know what His kingdom looks like if we deal with the things that we're dealing with in our in our American culture today. And I want to see heaven on earth. Uh, it's Amen. just it's biblical. And then finally, I'm a pastor. And I feel the weight of that. I don't, I'm sure you guys feel the same way. Um, I want to carry that weight into this topic of racism in America. And um, I want to take our church into this. So I was thinking today, just as an opening, I have some scripture that I want to read. Uh, some of it is um, rather indicting. Uh, and it, it, this, these are all passages of Scripture that I've, I've kind of filtered my life through in the last few weeks. Um, <clears throat> Proverbs twelve fifteen, Fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to advice. No commentary needed. Another one, Proverbs eighteen thirteen, Answering before listening is both stupid and rude. That's out of the message. I love the message. Um, <laughs> Proverbs 18.2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing personal opinion. I, I hope that's good. I hope God's spirit begins to so lean good. in on us right now. Yeah. Because if there's one thing that I see going on all the time, it's that very thing. We, we really want to express our personal opinion. I am, I am so fed up with Facebook. If I yeah. if I hadn't invested so much time into it, I would kill it. But it's driving me crazy. Proverb one five. This is this is this is instructive. Let the wise also hear and gain in learning. Learning's going to be our topic next week. 
and the discerning acquire skill. We have to learn. We've got to, we've got to change. In this Proverbs 25, 20 verse 5, knowing what is right, this is, this is so important, knowing what is right is like deep water in the heart. A wise person draws from the well within. In other words, God's trying to say something to us. We, we don't have it all right now. We, can't, we haven't figured it all out right now. We're working on it. When COVID hit, I knew, I shared this last week, that God was changing something. He's doing something. He wanted to speak to us. And I've, I've thrown everything at our staff. Maybe we need to do this. Maybe God's saying this. But, but when Ahmaud Arbery and, and George Floyd happened, there was no question what God was trying to say, what he wanted us to see. And I truly believe that it's deep water and only with work can we draw out what God wants to do in and through the church, who I believe is the hope of the world today. Finally, First mm-hmm. Corinthians 13, 4. Uh, this is the wedding chapter. You know, everybody has this at their wedding. But it's the first three words that strike me. Love suffers long and is kind. Yeah. Yes. In other words, this, we're in this for the long haul. This is going to take a while. This is going to be a big deal. This is not a sermon. This is not a series. This becomes something we do for the rest of our lives. In Ephesians 3, it's the magic, it's the mystery of God, the the power of His Spirit of us coming together and being together. Yes, we have problems with racism in all races in our country. We feel like the black and white issue is the issue right now. If we can figure this out, if we can honor God in this thing, um, we'll, we'll see some great stuff happen. Yeah. So basically, which is a great time for me to stop, God was just speaking to me and saying, just listen and shut up. <laughs> don't, don't say anything. And that's kind of where I feel like I am today. So um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend a lot of time for the, the rest of our time here today listening, learning, uh, some questions too. You guys be the same. But, um, Jeffrey, why don't you um, just greet us and then introduce uh, your guest today, and um, then we'll, uh, we'll keep going. Sure, absolutely. Hey, it's good to be back, everybody. Uh, shout out to City Hills and to Destiny and also Life Ticket. Just such an honor to be a part of this conversation. I'm excited about today and what we're going to do today. I think it's so, so needed, especially as Pastor Greg alluded to, the fact that I'm a, a white male, um, the focus that, that we're going to take today in this conversation is to listen. And uh, people like me, I think um, we, we do very well to listen. And I know I've kind of felt the, the pressure and the tension behind this as a pastor, just to be honest with you, because um, I know because of who I am and my life experience, I need to do way more listening then I need to be talking. But at the same time, I'm a pastor <laughs> trying to lead a congregation in this. You get this. paid to talk. <laughs> right. And I've, I've got to lead and I've got to talk. And uh, for those of you at City Hills especially, you know I've said this before. Um, I'm sure that I don't get everything right. I'm sure I don't say everything right because I have a, such a limited perspective. But I hope that you hear and know in my heart that what I am saying, I'm trying to get there. And what you see in about 30 minutes of a conversation on screen, I've spent hours, as as I know Pastor uh, Greg has and Dorian, we have spent hours and hours listening and talking and having these discussions. And so 
I really am excited about this because I think it's going to help. And I love those scriptures you brought out, Pastor yeah. Greg, uh, because it is something I think we have a hard time doing, mm-hmm. especially in today's polarized environment. We all want to just kind of make sure our point gets yeah. heard. And I'm reminded of one more scripture. I'll throw this in here as we begin, and then we'll get on to it. But uh, James in the New Testament, the brother of Jesus, uh, in James 1.19, he reminds us uh, that that we need to be um, slow to speak, but we also need to be quick to hear. Yeah, um, That's a pretty famous passage of scripture. We know that. Slow to speak, quick to hear. That's what we want to do. But then he adds a third thing there. At the end, that oftentimes I think we gloss over. He also says we are slow to be angry. Um, and I think, back to what you said at the beginning, um, a lot of times when we have, whether it's a discussion centered around this topic or any polarizing issue that might be in a part of the equation in our society, um, we often hear, and while we're listening, we're, we're not really listening, we're just thinking about what, what am I going to come back with? Yeah. Or you don't know it like you you don't know it from my perspective. Right. You you need to hear my perspective. It's like, well, we need to hear reality yeah, and yeah. hear perspective. And so my my prayer, my heart is just that, that we're we're quick to hear, we're slow to speak, and and we're slow to get angry in all of this. And I think if we do that, God's gonna do something beautiful through the course of these conversations. And as you said, Pastor Greg, this is this is a lifetime of work that we're gonna do. Um, I'm happy that I have with me an incredible guy that is part of the City Hills family, um, Stefan Longchamp. Um, he and his family have been part of our church for, I don't know, a couple of years now. And uh, they're involved and just add so much and do so much for our church. And um, he's also a father. So I'm glad he's going to be part of this conversation sitting at the table. And I'm going to let him just tell you a little bit about himself. Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, yes, my name is Stefan Longchamp. I am a community member in Sterling, Virginia. I'm also a teacher. I've been a teacher at the local high school for five years. I also coach uh, high school soccer and girls basketball, which I've done for the last three and five years. And it's just, a, I'm just thankful. I'm humbled to be able to, to come and, and join you all um, in this conversation. I, I was able to watch last week and, and thought it was a really good start. And I just Look forward to sharing my perspective. Um, I grew up in Northern Virginia, so I am uh, my. I think my perspective is is a little bit different. Um, I have six children, three boys and three girls, in that order. So my <laughs> oldest are all boys, and wow. and I've spent time trying to teach them how to be men. Yeah. Uh, and um, and my youngest daughter and my youngest are all girls, um, and trying to teach them as best as I can, uh, with the help of my wife, how to be good, good women and what that means. And I think some of these recent actions have reminded us, especially in my family, that unfortunately we still live in a time where sometimes being a good person isn't enough. You know, sometimes people aren't going to look at you based on some of those things. They're going to look at, at your surface and make a judgment. And so, you know, I think it's important that we have these conversations and then we have um, open dialogue as to what that means for for all of us. Absolutely. So I'm looking Absolutely. forward to, to continuing that. Thank you, Stefan. 
Thank you. Uh, well, again, I'm so glad and thank you uh, for being a part of this conversation. It's truly a blessing. Uh, I am the co-pastor, co-lead pastor with my wife, Leah Baker, and um, one of the three pastors here, um, the non-white male pastor. Uh, <laughs> hopefully you figured that out. But uh, what I was thinking about as, as Pastor Jeffrey was sharing about the listening, even though this may not necessarily with this subject matter apply directly to me with regards to listening. I have been a husband for the past 20 years, and I think I'm almost learning how to listen. Uh, 20 years. 20 years. This is, our, this is year 21 for us. Uh, but one thing uh, that's true, and you can't deny it, God gave us two ears and one mouth. Yeah. And I was just thinking about that with regards to being a husband, with regards to community, with regards to being a pastor. And uh, I am so thankful uh, to be a part of this conversation. And we had a, a wonderful conversation on last week, which was kind of a, a start uh, of this. And we know we have a, a long ways to go. Uh, but I'm grateful that we can be a part of this. And hopefully this won't just stay at this table, but we'll continue in conversation at your tables yeah. as well. Uh, and I am tremendously blessed to be joined by... Uh, Miss Pat Rainey, and I'm going to let her introduce herself. But before I do that, what she won't tell you is that she's an amazing singer. Come on, uh, she probably won't tell you that. <laughs> so, and uh, what she what she probably won't tell you because she I know she's humble, but she's just an awesome woman of God, um, a mentor uh, to so many young ladies and men, um, and really for for our church, uh, for those who know me, Life Ticket Church, uh, recently. What four months ago, or more than four months now, six, six, seven months ago, uh, my, I lost my mother. My mother passed away, and she's in glory with the Lord, uh, celebrating. Uh, but I only share that not as a sad point, but I share that because I really thank God for Miss Pat. She is uh, a mother in our church, and and so even to me. And uh, I'm so grateful that she could be with us here today. So uh, with that, I'm going to let her introduce herself. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Pat Rennie, I, um, and I live in Northern Virginia in Herndon, and I am an implant from New York City, born and raised. Oh, awesome. And I have three amazing children who are all adults and one grandson. And um, my oldest daughter, she now lives in Atlanta with her husband, and they pastor there. And my daughter-in-law and my son, they live in Manassas. And my baby girl, uh, who's in her 30s, she and her son live in Ashburn. Um, I am an intellectual property paralegal. I've been in the field for over 30 some odd years. So mm. I work for a law firm that we have a satellite office in um, Tyson's Corner. I am an ordained minister um, and I just love God's people. And um, it is my honor to serve with my pastor and his wife and my brothers and sisters at Life Ticket. What an amazing, amazing Church, And I've learned so much, although I've been in the body of Christ for many years, I am learning so much in just the short time that I've been um, uh, at Life Ticket. Um, there's a lot to say, again, with being one who was born and raised in New York, growing up in the projects. Um, and, you know, we can go further. Uh, I'll share more um, with yeah, regard keep, to... Keep on going. Do you yeah, want me to keep going? Yeah, yeah. Um Living in Brooklyn, I was born and raised in the Bronx, but I raised my family after getting married in Brooklyn, New York. And my oldest son, who is now 43, an amazing young man, I thank God so much for him, um, he was 13 or so at the time. 
um, again, just, just to put a pen right there, um, he won an academic scholarship to go to high school in Massachusetts. So that's why um, I was asking him recently, knowing that I would be here. I asked him, I said, you were still in middle school. You hadn't gone to high school with the incident I'm about to speak about. And he's like, no, Ma, I was in junior high school. So he was about 13 mm -hmm. at the time. He went to California to visit with my sister, his aunt, and his cousin. They were like brothers. Um, my brother is former military, served our country. So they were on a military post. While my brother-in-law, we believe he was in Korea at the time. So my son, Jamal, and my nephew, Sean, and two other young guys, they were playing basketball. They had gone to play basketball. They were returning home. And just being silly, bouncing ball, whatever, whatever. And two police officers approached them and stopped them and asked them for ID. Mm. And it's like, if my son was 13, my nephew was 12. Wow. Mm. So I don't know how many teenagers walk around with identification. <laughs> nah. But nonetheless, they were stopped. Um, and the uh, officers asked each child, where were they from? And my son said, I'm from New York. And immediately he said, so what is your street name? Mm -hmm. So my son replied, I don't have one. And he made all four boys put their hands behind their backs mm -hmm. and sat them on the curb. The saving grace was that one, it was a military area. Mm -hmm. So these police officers, my understanding, and I could be wrong, is that they didn't have jurisdiction being regular police officers. It should have been military police if there was a problem. Um, one of the boys, his mom, and I believe, if I'm recalling correctly, was passing by and was able to stop whatever was going on because she, the mother was military, I believe. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I thank God because at a young age, I had to teach my son and at the time my stepson what to do in the event that they're pulled over. If they're stopped, we're talking teenagers, so not pulled over in a vehicle, but stopped. Right, right. At ages 12, 13, or even younger, a woman on the subway station, she was selling a book for a dollar. And most guys know what a little black book is, right? You yeah. know, that's your little mm -hmm. number where you put all the females. Oh, yeah. She called it a little <laughs> black book. Yeah. It was a pamphlet. And in that, in that booklet, that little pamphlet, were, were instructions, if you are stopped by the police, what to do. So I purchased three, one for my husband at the time and my two boys. And I sat down with little guys and te taught them what to do. Here we are 30 oh, plus yeah. years later. And recently my daughter, the younger one, was just stopped. She was pulled over. And my 10-year-old grandson was in the back seat. Can, can, can sure. I just interrupt on that? So if I did the math right, this, this thing that you described, the situation in California, was 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. We just moved up 30 years mm -hmm. to this story, which just happened. Okay. Yep. Yeah. This happened um, shy yeah. of a year. Shy of a year. Mm -hmm. um, and we're, we're, we taught, you know, Makai is my grandson, you know, have respect for adults, law enforcement, et cetera, et cetera. But the officer, according to my daughter, was so rude and nasty, and she wanted to say something to him, but she remembered mm -hmm. yeah. in conversations, although she, there's that gap between the oldest child and her, she remembered. She said, I would make the 
the situation, it would get worse. Mm -hmm. And then she had to consider her child. So when everything was done, my grandson, he couldn't understand. So he's asking his mom, like, Mom, why was he so nasty to you? So now, 30 some odd years later, the things I taught my son and stepson, I'm having to teach along with my son, the uncle, and my daughter. We're teaching it to my 10-year-old. I shared with you, um, I just said the other day he was by, and I said, Makai, you know, like typical kids, they love games and, you know, electronics. And I said to him, Makai, if mommy is pulled over by a police officer, what do you do with your game? I put it on the chair. If it falls, what do you do? Nothing. You don't go for it. You keep your hands in place, etc. Mm-hmm. Less than two years ago, my son, who was about to get married, he was staying with me for a while to help us out with some things. He was in my guest parking lot in my community. Something happened to his phone. He went to the grocery store. He's sitting in his car. And he's trying to figure out something his phone. A police officer walks up. And starts inquiring, do you live here? He said, yeah, I do live here. But he hadn't changed his license. He was still had a Manassas address at that time. So he said, I need you, you know, the thing, I need your registration, blah, blah, blah. So he remembered from when he was a child yeah. that may, he had to ask hands on board. And he said, my, my information is in my glove compartment. May I go get that? Yeah, yeah. The officer said, okay, and he went to get it. Then he wanted something else for my son. He said, sir, it's in my wallet. May I go into my pocket? Ran, everything was fine with my son. He never, ever, ever told my son why he was approached, what the problem was. My son started to ask because he was angry. He started to ask, but then he said no, and that was it. As a mom, as a mom that I've raised my kids to do well, all of my children are college graduates. They're doing well. I've not had to go to jail or anything. And I'm not putting anyone down who's had to have that experience. Not at all. But I'm saying is that the incident when he was in California, I couldn't even go to work the next day mm-hmm. because of the prejudice that I was experiencing at work. I could not go. And with my grandson having to teach my grandson at 10 years old something that was... But this is even longer than 30 years ago. This is not new. It's just because of social media we know about these things. I pray for God's covering over my children. But as a mother, I'm angry, Mm. I'm hurt, and I'm tired. And I'm tired. And I want to hear the church do more on both sides. I am also the daughter of a, a, a retired, now deceased police officer. My father was a New York City police officer. My brother was a police officer for years in upstate New York. He just became detective about maybe two years ago. One of the things I do remember is I was a teenager. My father worked in Harlem. And I remember having to go see my dad because he and my mom divorced when I was five. So I went to see him about something. And he had to pull a woman over, a Caucasian woman, 
over. Now, I'm standing there. I knew my dad had a hot temper, so I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, okay, what's going to happen here? And he was telling the woman she could not make the turn, and she was insistent. She wanted to make the turn. That's why she was pulled over. And um, she started cursing at my father, a police officer, a black police officer. She's cussing at him. And um, she started calling him the N-word. So, again, I'm a teenager. I'm thinking, oh, my God. But he maintained his cool. He maintained his cool. I can't imagine what he felt seeing, having his daughter see to that. see him. Yeah, yeah. But I became, I was proud of him, but I was so angry, even at mm. 16. Wow. And he wrote her the ticket and didn't say a word and just said, bam. Wow. I can have your job. Do you know who I am? And that happened so long. I'm in my 60s now. And I still remember that and the pride that I had over my father. So I'm thankful to be able to voice this and that we're trying to do something on both sides of it. I pray for my brother, his safety, because with my dad being a police officer in the 60s, I can't imagine what it was like for him being the minority, but supposed to be an authoritative figure. And I think about my brother. I'm, I'm grateful that he's not in uniform any longer, but I pray for his safety, but I also pray for that of ours, our children, our yeah. husbands, our sons, nephews, cousins, etc. my friends. That's where it's at. Thanks so much for sharing I, that. I've got, yeah. I have so many questions, <laughs> but I can't talk. Yeah. <laughs> I actually want to piggyback. I'm gonna, um, so I'm actually the same age as your son. Okay. And I... I live in Sterling. I, I'm a, as I indicated before, I'm a teacher. I'm also a coach. I've lived in Sterling for 15 years. I grew up in Northern Virginia. I have been in every situation I've been in has been in circumstances where it's predominantly white school. I went to Mary Washington college. My jobs before I was a teacher, I worked in corporate America, predominantly white. Um, and in the last five years, so over the last 15 years, like I said, I've, I've lived in Sterling, I've been a coach, I've coached youth leagues and, and all these things. I shared a few weeks ago, after watching the Amy Cooper video, that you know, Pastor Jeffrey does, uh, during his sermons, he'll talk about, on Instagram, we've got these highlight reels, everybody's all like, oh, my life is great, look at this food I made, and all these things. And I'd been thinking, what if, what if we shared what was real? What if we shared, not that those things aren't real, but what if we shared some of the things that aren't as great? And I watched the Amy Cooper video. And clarify for some people that don't know what that is. Yeah. So it's the woman who was in New York and she, um, white woman, she was, and she was, she had her dog off a leash. They were in central park, but she was very specifically in an area that you had to have your dog on a leash. And a, an African American man, approached her and said, you need to leash your dog. And she became incredulous that this black man would tell her what to do. And it escalated. And on the video, you can watch her. There was a hint of sarcasm in her voice. There was anger where she indicated that she would call the police and that she would tell them that an African-American, and she, she was very pointed at that, was harassing her, was threatening her and her dog. Hmm. 
And, and she even said to him, she was like, what do you think of that? You know, and then she called the police and then she gets on the phone with the police and all of a sudden she's got her victim voice on. Yeah. Mm. So I watched this video and all my fears as a black man in a predominantly white community were, were being realized. And I talked about, I shared that despite the things I've done, I have a master's degree. I, like I said, I'm a teacher. I've worked hard to ensure that my, my presence in the community is a positive one. But every time I walk out of my house, I worry. Because the last several years, it has felt like if somebody decides that they're not sure you fit in, or they're not sure that you belong, or that you fit a description, they make a phone call. And the ramifications of that phone call can be minor in such that you have an interaction with a police officer or all the way to a George Floyd situation. Yeah. And the difficulty is even those minor ones, it's still, it still hurts because what you're being judged as for me, for example, my accomplishments, my status, none of that matters. There's one thing that somebody saw. There's one thing that somebody decided was important about me. Mm. And it was the only thing. And I'm the type of person in my community, I'm out all the time. I go for runs. I walk my dogs. My wife and I go for walks. So I'm always out. You know, my students, they were in class and they were always like, oh, I saw you walking your dog. Or I saw you out here. You know, I walk to the store. I'm always out. Um, last year, in fact, I, and when I do that, I don't necessarily take my ID with me. You know, if I'm walking the dogs or, or what have you. Last year, I walked out of my house. I was getting ready to go for a run. And a police officer was driving through my neighborhood. And I stopped. And it was the first time I think I was conscious of my presence yeah. as it related to where I was. I was honestly uh, five houses up from my own house. But I watched this police officer drive by and I had the wonder, are they going to stop and ask me, what am I doing here? Do I belong here? Hmm. And that's, that's honestly hurtful to believe that just on your appearance, somebody could decide that you're, you don't belong, yeah. that you're out of place. Um, so I share that. And thankfully, um, I actually have been given so much hope. I, being a teacher, I watch, I'm able to interact with students and I watch this generation. And I will say this is this generation of students, this generation of young people are so inclusive that it gives me hope. And I think that that's one of the reasons that we're seeing this convergence and we're seeing that the response has been global. Yeah. Right? I mean, historically, we would have seen, so the George Floyd situation would have happened and the response would have been right there. Right. The response would have been Minneapolis and we'd all be sitting in our homes watching it. Every state has had protests. There have been protests globally. Germany, France, England. And I think so much of that is spurred by this generation of young people who have decided 
that enough is enough. Yeah. And that who have decided that what used to be okay is not okay. Yeah. And and they're they're spurred to action. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would just jump in here real quick and because I think after hearing both of your stories, um, it might be a good time to highlight because I've been in conversations with other white people and right now there's a lot of uh, tension around different phrases that's being used um, and we don't have time to go into all of them, but one of them is white privilege. And I know that there's been people that have said to me, you know, white people, it's like, well, what do you mean white privilege? I, I grew up poor. I didn't, you know, I didn't have a silver spoon in my mouth. And, and so I kind of take offense to that. And it's given me the opportunity in those situations. And look, I, I didn't just come to that. I mean, I've had to do a lot of work to get to this realization and we've had a lot of work to get better than where I'm at and further than where I'm at now. But I think it's important to realize for, for we white people that that's what we're talking about when we talk about white privilege. That as a, as a white man, um, as a kid growing up, I never, I never remember one conversation with my parents and them telling me what to do if I'm playing my game in the car and I drop it. Yeah. I have a little girl, she's seven years old. I've never had that type of conversation with her because it's not our reality. We don't have to live within the context of of, of, of that reality thinking like I've got to teach and train and there are just some ways that that society has been structured and set up that people don't automatically make assumptions about me because I'm white right. whereas the other way and that's what we talk about when we mean white privilege it's not that if you're white you never had any struggles or you never had any hardships right. or anything like that and yeah. so I just thought I would insert it there because hopefully that's helpful to some people to realize what we're talking about yeah, um, and it's one of the things that these stories bring a light on. And can I just thanks for sharing that, uh, Jeffrey? Can I also just add? It's not that we as black people want to be the victim either. Like right. we Absolutely. don't walk around like you know, oh woe is me. You know, I got a target on my back. We don't want to be the victim. But I completely identify with your story in that coming into the realization that regardless of whatever status I have um, and people know the people who know who I am as a father, as a husband and as a pastor, that in that moment, I'm a black man. And I had that moment for me about maybe three or four years ago, I was driving in the car with my son and I was speeding. Um, I was going a little bit over the speed limit in a 35 mile an hour zone police car pulls out i saw the blue lights i was like oh my god you know it's gonna pull me over just me me and my son and in that moment i remembered philando castile and i remembered what had just happened in the news and seeing people that looked like me being shot and killed in their vehicle and so when i pulled over i felt that sense of fear and i remember looking at my son at the time i think he was maybe 12 or 13 and i was just like i just said dj just don't move, man. I was like, and, 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 you know, being a father, you know, you want to be the strong one. You don't want to, uh, you don't want to show that, you know, in front of your son. But, uh, that was the first time for me that I felt that. And, uh, sorry, um, that I felt that, that in that moment I was, um, 
defenseless. And uh, long story short, I mean, the police officer, he was a white officer and he was kind. He wasn't mean or anything like that. Uh, but um, it's something that you can't really, it's hard to even describe what you feel. Um, and you don't want anybody else to feel that. And, and, and the thing now, my son is, he's turning 15 um, next week. I think about him and I don't want him to, to be the victim. I don't want him to feel that way. Um, but I also think about that. Like if he's just out playing basketball with his friends and they're, they're tall, big guys and he has, you know, locks in his hair and I don't want anybody when they see him as sweet as he is, um, and both of my children and just to see a, a black man in that moment. Um, and so anyway, that's, I'm so glad we're having this conversation because it's hard to sometimes to convey what we feel in that. I, I want to jump in with a really big question, but I want to comment on something that you said, Pat. Um, and I think Dorian, you just, you just capped it as well. I'm a dad of four children. Um, and, uh, if Pam and I keep living long lives, maybe we'll catch you. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, this is on film. Well, we're done. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm done. Um, anyway, uh, I from from day one when our the first baby was born, every day till this day, I pray for them. I pray for their safety. I pray that God would keep them and protect them and watch over them. I've never once thought about praying that God would protect them from the police because that's not my world. Uh, Now, and that leads me to my question because, um, and I I think it's especially important, Pat, to know that you come from a police family. Mm -hmm. Um, We have amazing police officers yeah. in our church. In your church. Us too. Yeah. You know? In our community, too. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And, amazing police and officers. And I think that, that yeah. many of them right now are feeling so disenfranchised, yeah. disowned, uh, dis, dis anything, right? Yet, we keep seeing these things happen with police and black people. And and the the killing of unarmed people. I mean, it's just George Floyd. I will never forget that as long as I live. Um, I, I it comes on the TV every now. And I have to look away now. I I saw it once. I never want to see it again because it's just it's more than I can handle. Why why are we at this place with blacks and police and what do we do with that because we know there are some wonderful men and women who serve our community in policing white and black they're the wonderful people i they have the worst job in the world sometimes i think and especially now they can't win for losing at this point i'm sure they must feel that way but you've been kind of living like that for a long time so share share with us just your thoughts on that because i again i have thoughts but they're coming from a guy who's never had to pray about this in his whole life um just to be clear are you asking um 
how do we differentiate between the good, the bad? How do we, like, I'm not, I'm sorry. Well, yeah, I don't even know how to ask the question. Okay. You've processed this a lot more than I have, and maybe maybe one of you guys could I think share that, and then we'll start from there. From what I heard you ask, I think, um, number one, <clears throat> right now we have done, we focused on police, police brutality. It's more than that. Because as we've talked about, there are good police officers. Okay. Absolutely. And what what the problem is, is that so while it's focused on police, because it, it tends to have the most immediate effect and the most visible effect, right? So looking at the George Floyd situation, that is... But I would say that George Floyd wasn't just killed by that police officer. George Floyd died under the weight of systemic racism, injustice. There are other areas that these are showing themselves. And so police brutality and some of these situations are are a symptom and they're not necessarily the root cause. Mm-hmm. And so what we have to start to get at is what is the root cause that is affecting police officers and what we're finding is that you know all it takes is one um all it takes is that one bad police officer that one police officer who has prejudice bias or even racism in their heart all it takes is that teacher who has the same thing unfortunately i've I've been reading recently in this county you know one example some kids have been posting some of their experiences. One one child posted that he had a teacher at his high school who lines up his their class when it's time to do fire drills by light to dark. Well, wow. and this is current. You know, we're so everybody's talking. We always say, "Oh, it's 2020; these things are happening." So it's happening in the education system. It happens in business. Uh, banks loan an average about 3% of their small business loans go to black owned businesses so it makes it difficult if you're a, if you're a small business owner and you're black to get started um, so it's not just in the police department That's right. you know it's, it's you know we go back and we think about how so it's a system that constantly puts black people in difficult situations you know we, um, I remember we did a training recently and we talked about we brought up redlining and there were people adults who had never heard of that they had no idea what that is um, and so you know I think back to 2016 North Carolina tried to pass a law a voting law that made it difficult it required several forms of identification to be able to go vote the, the court threw it out because it was it was realized that that law was was aimed at minorities because it was more difficult to get some of these forms of identification. You know, so this was during the 2016 election. So numerous systems are plagued by a notion that certain people should be able to do these things and certain people should be left out. And I think that 
in our conversations, that is what we have to start to address. That is what we have to attack. So these systems that are in play right now, we can go after them and we can ask for change. But I think what we've seen since 1964 when the Civil Rights Bill was passed is, yes, you can legislate certain things, but the system is sophisticated enough that people are going to find other ways. So if, if in your heart you believe certain things, you're going to act on it. You're going you're gonna to do... I remember listening to Van Jones, who's a CNN correspondent. He went to law school. And... It was one of the first. It was one of the first situations where <clears throat> a law school was actually integrated, and he was one of the few black kids. Well, so he got to be there. He had that opportunity. However, now what was happening is the the professor was meeting with other white students to get them, um, you know, uh, internships or other situ other opportunities to to serve. So he again was being left behind. So that's what happens is that if, if the core issue, the core problems are not being dealt with, the system will continue to, to find ways to allow it to happen. Yeah. I'd like to also interject now to have a better understanding is that I agree totally with what um, he had to say. But I think it, there's so many factors that point to that. And it goes even beyond the civil rights movement, et cetera. It, it began... Um, with our inception, our being people of color, black people in this country, um, slavery was based on supposed to be biblical principles. The story of Ham and the descendants from Ham, that we were supposed to be servants. And you go further and further in history where we're taught that, pe that black people, that we don't have as much intelligence. We don't have as much this. Um, the women um, who were um, I'm trying to say this in a, in a way because I don't know how many people will be watching our age groups, but that women were made, black women, slave women were made to be sexual objects for um, the masters. And you separated families. You took fathers from their children. You took children. You know, you raped wives in front of their husbands. And so you start there. So we know as, as, as people of spirit, yeah. we know that this is not, and you said it, that this is not just these legalities and laws, et cetera. It's a spiritual problem as well because the lie began so far back. And we're doing a women's study called um, from the book Lies Women Believe. And one segment of that is going to be based on culturalism and um, 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 colorism, et cetera, is that it starts from the lie and that the lies that the enemy has put in place from the very, very, very beginning, mm -hmm. even before we as black people were brought over to this country. So the church has such an important part to dispel yes. those lies, teaching people about who we are. Our history, in my belief, our history didn't just be come here in America. It didn't just start with Martin Luther King or Malcolm X, etc. There was something before. There's a black presence in the Bible a lot of people don't know. Oh Why? It's because yeah. Yeah. we were subjected to seeing, and, and no offense to anyone, <laughs> white but Jesus. white I'll Jesus, yeah. not knowing yeah. the history of Long where these pictures, eyes, the yeah. Bible said he wasn't comely looking. Yeah. But we see this pretty Jesus, and he's Caucasian, and we put those in our homes, not knowing the history about who painted that, who yeah. took the picture of Jesus back in the day when there was no... <laughs> 
you know. So it has to, you have to put, consider all of that, I believe, into that. When we watch movies, um, you know, the Ten Commandments, Charlton, 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 Charlton Heston, thank you. Um, You know, it's not known. His wife was a woman of color. We don't have these things. Solomon said, don't, you know, don't, don't persecute me. Don't judge me because I'm black. So when people understand that God didn't make a mistake when he created different colors. I've heard people who mean the right thing. They mean to say the right thing. And they say, well, I don't see color because God doesn't see color. Yes, he does. He created it. He created it, yeah. And it's all beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So again, we, you know, like what you said, that platform, yes. But with the body of Christ in education, we have to rear our children. And whether you're black, white, purple, or green, to understand that we all play a part. And then those of us who know the spirit realm, how to fight against that. This is a war in the spirit realm. Come on. And the enemy, just like God uses us as people to bring forth his kingdom, our pastor's (laughs) teaching, the enemy has to use people to bring forth his kingdom. Mm -hmm. And we are the warriors to stop it. Come on. Come on. So we have a twofold or more platform of fighting it spiritually and what can we do we can teach our children we can teach adults who don't have that understanding about the great things that we accomplish regardless to color and also because of Mm -hmm. color I raise my children from young especially the older ones to understand people like Imhotep and all those other great ones that came before. Not so much on that religious side, but on the fact that things were created from Africa, not just when we came here. Mm, yeah. And to break down the word of God for them to see, when we talk about Genesis and the way the rivers were parted, and they talk about that, where are those places? Mm. Where were those places at? It's in the word of God. Yeah. And when we get that to understand... That God has purpose for each and every one of us. And it didn't just start now. It has always been. So again, I put the liability on the church. When we wake up and start teaching, not just on Black History Month or Latino History Month, but we teach it and get people to understand that there's evil in every race. Yeah. Yeah. But then there's the mighty, the warriors of the kingdom. To make this thing happen. So, so if the, and by the way, we've gone over time. Oh goodness, we don't really care right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you have to leave, uh, go do the dishes or whatever. Turn the volume up. <laughs> we, uh, if the church bears the liability, the church bears the responsibility. Yes. Yeah. I could preach on that. Yes. And that, that, that I've never read that before. But it's true. Mm-hmm. We can fix this as a church. In fact, I, all the legislation in the world is not fixing this. No. This is a heart, a heart thing. Issue. It's a spirit thing. Um, and I, and, and please, uh, for those of you that think we've got to have answers today, chill out. <laughs> we're not going to give them to you. We're this we're walking yeah. through this. We're yeah. learning through yeah. this. I, I want this to We need to sit in it. Yeah, we, we do. Need, we, yeah. It, it it suffers long. Yeah. yeah. And and so I think we need to we need to soak in this. For those of you who are watching 
share this video. Think through it. Sit in it yourself. Don't don't come back with your CNN report or your Fox News report. <laughs> What's Jesus saying? Which is a whole lot better to find out. And he's on every channel. Uh, he knows what's going on and he knows what to do. Um, but this, I mean, my heart is torn today. This is, this is incredible. Um, and things that we just, we have to, we have to learn and we have to walk in. Um, one of the greatest books I've ever read in my life was Tony Evans, Embrace Oneness. You can talk about history. I learned so much that I never got in in Bible college, and didn't get it in seminary. Nobody ever talked about it, and and yet it's right there in living color. It's, yeah. it's crazy. And I, I thank you so much for sharing that about the oneness and and what you just shared, Miss Pat, as well. Is that's why, even though everything that's so tragic that's going on right now, the church, the church should be excited. Yeah. Uh, not because of the tragedy, but because of the opportunity. Yes. Yeah. And the responsibility that you mentioned that we have, because what the world does is the world focuses on what divides us. Mm-hmm. And we as a church, as the kingdom of God, we are to focus on what unites us. And mm-hmm. what does unite us is what you just shared, the kingdom. And if, if we come together as believers, as, as a kingdom uh, of, of people, then the things that divide us. We can conquer them because at the root of it, it's a spirit. And I, I was sharing with uh, one of the young men at our church the other day uh, in prayer, I saw seeds being thrown and I saw something that reminded me of my grandfather was a farmer and he grew um, all kinds of vegetables. So one of them was a beet and he grew beets. And uh, the beets are, are so different because the fruit of a beet is is really like the root of the beet, the fruit is is so much larger but it's underground and as i was praying i saw that beat and i and i really sensed that the holy spirit was was saying that the world society i should say deals with the seeds of hate and the seeds of racism and the seeds of prejudice uh we need legislation we need reform we need uh sensitivity sensitivity training for our police force um, we need uh, work done in the criminal justice system. We need all of those things. But all of those things are the seeds that we see. But underneath, underneath. there's a root yes. of, of evil. There's a root of, of, of hate and racism in our nation that only the church, yeah. only the church can uproot that. And so I think sometimes people get put off. And I know I've, I've even heard some people like when, when we say things like pray, they like, oh, all y'all ever do is say, I'm going to pray about it. But what people fail to realize is that we're not saying prayer as the, the end point. Prayer is where we start. Come on. But prayer, what prayer does is tells us how to act, how to respond, what we should do as a church. But prayer is not the, the only thing when we say prayer. But I just wanted to, to share that because I feel like even though, even with coronavirus, even with the, the churches being uh, closed, it was, it was actually an opportunity yeah. for us. To be the church. And I feel like with yeah. this right now, this is why we're at this table, is to be the church and to uh, see what God wants to do. And I agree with you, Pastor. Yeah. I think, um, you know, the church has a real opportunity right now. Many many people would say that we're in the midst of a movement. I think we're in the midst of an opportunity. And what I challenge the church universally, individually to do 
and I actually think my pastor is a great example of this. We've had several conversations is that number one, the church as a whole and every individual in the church should be, should be seeking and begging for humility. We should be asking God for humility because it's only through humility that we can actually begin to listen. Um, if we're going to listen, we have to listen with open ears and an open heart Yeah. to be able to understand and to, and to hear where people are coming from. And when pastor Jeffrey and I have conversations, I feel like he's listening. You know, he, he just, he'll sit there and he hears where I'm coming from and the things that I've shared. And if the church would do that, if we would begin to ask and seek humility, hmm. we can begin to open up and hear with an hmm. open heart. Wow. And to hear, and um, because I believe that we're in, we're in a there state, and that state I'm reminded of Deuteronomy four twenty nine, and says, "But from there you will search again for the Lord your God, and if you search for Him with all your heart and soul, you will find Him." And I think that right now, you know, you talked about it last week. If if we're going to allow, if we're going to create change, meaningful, lasting change. The church has to lead, but in order to lead, the church has to be humble. Yes. The church leaders, the church as a universal, the church individually has to have humility to sit back and to be able to listen. You know, Pastor Jeffrey, I I thank you that you talk about it. You say, I don't know, you know, because of, because of your experiences, you don't know my experiences. Right. And so, um, it, he has allowed me and others an opportunity to share. And we've talked about it. And he, and I think that he's able to share it with the church. I mean, he's made some very bold statements that says, this is what we are as a church. That's leadership to me. And that's leadership that I need as a member of the church. And that, um, our church needs to be able to know, Hey, this is where we're about. This is the direction we're going with all this stuff going on. Here's, this is where we're going. And it's clear, and it's unequivocal, and it's known. It's plain. You know, I, a friend used to say, "Make it plain." <laughs> you know, and 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 I and I thank you, Jeffrey, for for that. Um, but I honestly believe um, that's where we have to start as a church, as church members, as church leaders, is seeking humility so that we can listen with an open ear and an open heart. Yeah. Well, Stefan and Pat, thank you for being here with us. Um, I think you all need to come back. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we're just getting started. And there's something I need uh, right now. Um, Pat, I I need you to pray for us. Um, I am am so thankful that that the both of you are here today to, to just share your, your stories, your, where you're coming from. I need to keep hearing that because it is, um, well, for one thing, it, the Word teaches us that it, we're the mystery. Yeah. This is the mystery that, that Paul talked about. It's, it's how people from all different walks of life come together in Jesus, we can't come together any other way, uh, and it's it's the mystery of the gospel. We can't really be a church without each other. Yeah. We can't bring the gospel, the good news, without each other. We're 
if, if we are continuing to segregate our lives and our relationships, and, and I think that's it's a big answer to some of us, we need to become friends. If, we're, yeah. if we keep living the that's way so we're true. living, the gospel will be missed in our nation. And we're already seeing the fruit of that. And so I need you to pray for me. (laughs) I I need you to to bring the fire and the heat and the love of Jesus. I I think we all do. And uh, and Stefan, I'd let you pray, but... I'm feeling some stuff over there. I heard now. She was, yeah, I know. Yeah. We need a church mother to pray. Yeah, yeah. 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 I'm so thankful that, that you've stepped in uh, to be Dorian's mother. Yes, um, yes. He me too. needs oh, one. He's a dear friend. I, I was... I, I was privileged to be at your mom's funeral. Yes, thank you. And I, what a woman. Oh, yes. my. Yeah, I was oh my. just listening to the stories. I was like, wow. And I had just lost my mother the week before, week, yeah. a couple oh, weeks sorry. before that. And and uh, uh, and I hurt for you. And yet, um, I, I was like, oh, my. Yeah. What a gift. Yes. What, yes. Thank you. What a Absolutely. powerful thank you. gift. And, Absolutely. But uh, so we've got another mom. Uh here with us and we we need some prayer amen could you lead us yes sir i'm happy to do that father we come before you with so much thanksgiving in our heart you are an amazing father hallelujah you are purposeful god but you are faithful and we say thank you lord we thank you for holy spirit's presence with us presence with us right now god and we know, God, that you are stirring things up, oh God, in the name of Jesus, Lord. Some of us are planting seeds, some of us are watering, but God, you get the increase. All of the glory belongs to you, oh God, in the name of Jesus. Lord, we understand that this is warfare, but God, the battle is not ours, it's yours. But you are equipping us with what we need to do. So we continue to thank you, continue to pour instructions to us, God, your wisdom, oh God, which you said you give freely, oh God. Give us continually oh God let our hearts be open to receive what you are pouring into us I thank you for these men of God oh Lord who see the vision and oh God I know it's not easy oh Lord thank you but Lord you're giving them everything they need to go for it everything they need for this mission in this time is already in them God Bring it forth, Holy Spirit. Bring it forth in the name of Jesus Christ. God, we're asking that you open the hearts of your people to receive. Soften their hearts to receive this word, oh God, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. That we become a united front, Lord Jesus. Because the unity is what you've always wanted us to be in. Oh Lord, the power is in us being unified, oh God, in the name of Jesus Christ. So we continue to Seek your loving face, oh God. Hallelujah to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, because you are already ahead of us. God, you said in Isaiah 65, 24, that you were already working things out. Even before we ask God that you are working it out, oh God. But because we pray, God, you said you hear us. And we trust your word, oh God. We trust your word. We lean upon your word, oh God. Yes, Lord. 
Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord God. So I pray a covering over each and every one, oh God, of these men that you've given the burden to them as well as other pastors and leaders in the body of Christ, Lord. We are a body, oh God, not separated as the enemy wants us to be. We speak that we're not separated. We project that, God. We prophesy that word that we will no longer be separated, but we are joining together again with the mind that this is about the kingdom. We pray for those who have been murdered and killed, oh God, those that are not even put in the news. There are so many, Father. Be with their families. Let this not be a time where they turn against you, God, where they blame you. The devil is a liar, oh God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. But again, soften their hearts and their ears so that they hear the word of God and they will surrender to you, Lord. Again, we thank you for this opportunity, Lord. It is a privilege to serve you, God. Thank you, God. In the name of Jesus. Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you, folks. And we're coming back. We're going to be back next week and uh, continue these discussions and find out exactly where God wants to take us. And uh, again, God bless you guys. Thank you so much. Bless you. Bless you. I've carried a burden for too long on my own. I wasn't created to bear it alone. I hear your invitation to let it all go. Yeah, I see it now, I'm laying it down, and I know that I need you. I run to the Father, I fall in the grace, I'm done with the heart, and the reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend, so I run to the Father again.
Sag nur 